Okay, so I'm going to start with a question and ask you, whatever your treasure is, first of all, what is that? And how do you determine the value of that treasure? Okay, I'm going to show you a clip. This watch uh, was handed down from my great-grandfather. He was the owner of the St. Paul Pioneer Press and Dispatch back in 1914 when he received this watch. And it was handed down from him to my father and then he gave it to me. Have you had any appraisals? I had an appraisal done probably 15 years ago. They told me at that time it was probably worth about $6,000. They were a little low. <laughs> yes. Patek Philippe is now purchasing those watches for their museum. This watch at auction, I suspect, would bring close to a quarter million dollars. No. Yes. Quarter million? This is one incredible watch. <laughs> I've never held a watch like this in my hand. What? You're kidding. That is one incredible watch. It can't be. <laughs> yes. No way. What? That is an incredible watch. Oh. I can't believe it. No. No. I love how the, the appraiser's like, yes. No. Yes. Okay, so this, if you're not a fan yet, Antiques Roadshow on PBS is a, a treat. And what you just saw was the appraisal of the most valuable item that's ever appeared on that show. And this poor man who took his great-grandfather's pocket watch to an appraiser valued it at 2.5% of what it was actually worth. And you see the response when he discovers that this gift that he has is much more valuable than what he thought. It changes everything. And so, here we are in our passage today. This is Paul, again, speaking to the Colossians. We're walking through this series on what it means to mature in Christ. And Paul is writing to these people that he's never met before. And he is writing against the false teaching that's coming into this church where people from two sides of the aisle, you had people that were formerly Jewish. And so they, they said, okay, yeah, Jesus, but also plus these Jewish um, sort of this legalism. You have to do these other things or else Jesus doesn't count. And then you had folks from the pagan side of things that worshipped all sorts of different gods and, and all sorts of different philosophies, and they said, oh yeah, Jesus is, is good, but, but you need him plus these other things. And Paul, he said it last week in the passage we were in last week, he's going to say it again and again. The, the whole point of this letter is to say, you in receiving Jesus Christ, have already received an overabundance of everything that you will ever need, past, present, and future. Do not allow anyone to underappraise the gift of Jesus Christ because what you value, this gift of Jesus Christ, whatever that value is to you, will determine the course of your entire life. So it's not a big jump for us to say, oh, how did, what does this mean to us? It's just, it means the same thing to us. There's so many different directions that we go in ways that, I mean, this is a 
a harsh term, but that we despise the gift of Christ that we've received. It's like taking this thing and saying, oh, wow, thanks. And then just throwing it over your shoulder and be like, okay, now I'm going to go look for the thing that I really need. And Paul is saying, that will kill you. And so, so three observations I have for us today as we walk through this passage. The first is receiving the gift of Christ. Receiving the gift of Christ. And the second is living out of the gift of Christ. What does it mean to live out of the gift of Christ? And then the third observation is just this warning from Paul. Don't trust every appraiser. Okay, so I'm going to have John Austin come up and read the scripture for us. Colossians 2, 6 through 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus in the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I ask as we open your word together, as I preach your word, Lord, that you would be merciful, that you would speak through me to all of our hearts and where we need to be convicted of sin, that you would convict us and where we need to be encouraged, that you would encourage us. All of this because you love us and you're leading us to yourself and you're growing us up in you. And we thank you for being such a good and faithful and kind father. And we, uh, we ask that you just come and, and teach us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this first observation, receiving the gift of Christ. What, think about receiving a gift. Think about Christmas, birthday, whatever it is. When you receive a gift, I know this sounds silly, but think about what you actually do. How do you receive a gift? Do you expect it? Maybe. Did you do anything to earn it? No. I want you to show the picture for me. This is one of the greatest gifts I've ever received. A 1988 GMC Jimmy. Move up or move over. When I was 16, I didn't know if I was going to get a car or not, and I walked outside, and that was sitting in the driveway. It was 10 years old at that point, but it was still really cool. And it was zero to 60 in like two minutes, but... I think that's why I got that car. No, I just, I mean, that, that made my whole day. That, that was huge. I walked outside and I just said thank you, right? I said thank you and receive it. 
That's all you do. And so Paul is telling, he's reminding these people of what happens. Like, I want you to, the same way that you received Christ, so walk in him. But, but just a reminder, you received Christ. You didn't do anything to earn this. And so he's, he's reminding them, he says, you were dead in two things. You were dead in your trespasses. And two, you were dead in the uncircumcision of your flesh. So right out of the gates, we need to appreciate the fact that we are in need of a gift. It's not like, oh, that's nice, this nice extra thing. Paul's saying you are dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. What does that mean? We'll get to it in a second. But we are in desperate need of a gift because of our trespasses. What Paul's saying here is that we were damned under the law because of all of the ways in which we've sinned against and run away against God's authority over our lives. We, we have all, whether we are quiet and mousy and um, introverts, whatever, whether we're the nice guy or the nice girl, every single one of us has led a full-on rebellion against God's good authority. And God, all the things that God has created and all the people that God has created that are in our lives... God has said, hey, I actually made these things. They're mine, and they're for my good purposes. And we've said, oh, no, they're not. No, 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 they're for my purposes. They're for my desires, my whims. These people in my life, they're for me to get what I want. My life is about me maximizing what I desire. So we have all been in that place, and we have racked up this giant record of debt against us. And thank God that Jesus Christ comes God in the flesh, and he takes this giant record of debt and nails it to the cross, and then he is put up on the cross and says, I'm paying the price for all of these things that you have done and will continue to do because I love you. And there's nothing that you can do about it. You are dead apart from me deciding to come in mercy and change this reality for you. Okay, Paul also says you were dead, too, in the uncircumcision of your flesh. We know from Scripture that sin is like this disease. And it, it warps and affects and, and ruins our bodies, our minds, our wills, our hearts, our emotions, everything. We are riddled throughout with the disease of sin. And, and not only that, we haven't just inherited it, but we continue to grab syringes full of it and keep injecting ourselves with it. And we grab other people and we inject them with it too. And it, it would be like thinking that there's anything that we could do to help ourselves would be like saying, oh, you have this disease that's stage four and terminal. Like, no, it's cool. I've got Tylenol and baby wipes. We're going to be fine. Okay? You're not going to be fine. Okay, you need a whole body transplant. You need a whole life transplant. And so this language about circumcision, that's confusing, especially if you're not familiar with Scripture. But this circumcision, it was a physical picture of cutting off of this flesh and by shedding of blood to make you clean. And so what Paul is pointing to is he is pointing to the cross and saying all of the circumcision that God commanded in the Old Testament, like it, it didn't actually do anything. It's just a picture pointing forward to. It was a prophetic physical picture pointing to the cross of Christ, which is our circumcision because we were joined with him in his death and when he, when he bled out on the cross, 
He took away our body of death. And he gave us a new heart. And he gave us a new life. And not only did Jesus do all of this, but he, he actually had to open our hands to receive this gift. It goes even further. I mean, Paul said we're dead. We're like, uh, if there's a dead man laying here next to me, he can't receive a gift that I give him. So it says that's how deep God's love goes, and that's how deep the need was, that he had to actually give you life enough to open your arms to receive the gift. That's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, when he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and even faith is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. There's a story that's gotten passed around from this missionary who is a missionary to a, a tribe in Africa, deep, deep, deep in the, in the jungles where nobody had ever been before. And as they're, they're learning these people's ways and they're trying to communicate across a language somehow that would, would go back and forth between them, uh, finally one of the leaders of this tribe gets the gospel. And he says, you know, makes a motion with his hands like, okay, I got it. And he goes and he, he gets this uh, a bunch of twigs and dried leaves and makes a, a big ring and he puts a worm in the middle of the, of the ring. And then he, he lights the ring on fire. And so this, this ring is just in, in blazes and then he reaches down and he picks the worm up from the middle and he points to it and says, I, I am that worm. The idea being that there is no way out. You, you and your own power are completely doomed. But it's Jesus who came and lifted you out of that ring of fire only by his mercy. So there, there are those of us in this room who are not yet in Christ. And so how does this matter? This matters in every way. This is everything. And so if, if you are not yet trusting in Christ, if you have not received this gift from God then he is imploring you to receive it today. Don't waste any time. Because there is no other way. And God is, is not the image that you have made of him in your mind. That he is some enemy that is coming to get you. He is coming to save you. And he is saying, if you will stop fighting me and just receive this gift of life, I actually did this because I want you to be with me forever. And so if that's where you are today, then I would join Paul and I would ask you to receive this gift that God is giving you in Christ. So that's our, our first observation. It's receiving Jesus Christ as a gift. Okay, now we're going to move into this the second observation of living out of that gift. Living out of the gift of Christ. So what does it mean to live out of a gift that you've received? So why, why does somebody give you a gift? They give you a gift because they want you to delight in that gift. Or if it's something you need, they want to meet that need. Say, wow, this person has this need. I want to give them this gift to meet that need. And so the hope is that you would not just see it when you open it and think, wow, this is wonderful. It would be like if, if I received that car on my 16th birthday and it was so overjoyed, and then I never used the keys, and I never pulled it out of the garage. And then like a few weeks pass, 
And people say, man, what about that gift that you got? I'm like, yeah, it was pretty great. But I still have a really hard time getting around. Really? Yeah, because I just, yeah, I'm not driving it. That's weird. Okay. And then, and then a few years pass. Hey, how about that, that amazing gift you got? And then decades pass. How about that amazing gift you got when you were younger? Like, oh, yeah, I barely remember that. It was really cool back then. And then you're, find, you're finding yourself having to, like, remember the, the joy of that. And so if God is the giver of this good gift of Jesus Christ, it is certainly his intention that you will use it, that you will enjoy, that you will delight in Christ, that you will allow him to meet your needs, not just the day that you receive him, but every single day for the rest of your life. And that's what Paul is telling these people here. He says, as you receive the gift of Christ, so walk in him, so live in him. And he's painting a picture in these next couple verses of the normative Christian life here. And he talks about it like a tree. He says, by faith in the powerful working of God, just be rooted and built up. Be rooted and built up in Jesus. So this word rooted is, is like, plant. It's like being rooted in something that you get your strength from, that all of, all of the things that you need flow through this thing that you are rooted to, like a branch on a tree. So what Jesus is saying in John 15, he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit, because apart from me, you can't do anything. So Paul says that is how you walk in this gift, is you receive it and you continue to receive it. You abide in it. You live in it. You live out of it. You allow Christ to live out of you. You continue to receive him. You allow his strength and his life to flow through you. And then he says, established in the faith. It's this idea of this inner strengthening that happens. Like our faith in Christ is not a stagnant thing. It is a growing thing. It is a changing thing. And just like a, a, a young tree or a, a, a young branch on a tree, it starts off very thin and very weak. But as you continue to walk in faith, as you continue to have these situations in your life and say, Lord, I can't do anything about this. I need you. I need you to help me. I need your power. I need your love. I need your strength. And then God actually meets you in that place. That strengthens your faith. And the next time you come, it gets easier and easier to believe, oh, he's actually going to answer me when I call out to him. Like he's actually going to be there. All of this is actually true. I can trust him even when I can't see it. And you know what happens over time? What God is doing in all of us is he's maturing us in Christ. He calls his people, another place in scripture, oaks of righteousness. We don't stay that little twiggling. That's not a real word. We don't stay that little sapling that is so vulnerable all the time. We grow and we become oaks of righteousness where no matter what comes our way, there's just this deep abiding peace in us because 
it, life can still be painful, and we don't know what's, what's coming around the next corner, but man, I know that God loves me, and I know that he's going to be there for me, and I know that he's going to give me everything I need because he's already given me everything I need in Christ. And if you are someone who is, is here and you are not placing your hope and your trust in Christ, I would ask you, whatever you are placing your hope and trust in, if you even know what that is, what effect is it having on you? Is it strengthening you? Or is it weakening you? Is it enslaving you? Paul's going to talk about that in a second. But then this last idea of this, the normative life, the normative Christian life, is this idea of abounding in thanksgiving. Going back to the the tree, it's like you're rooted in Christ, you're established in the faith, and then the fruit is just this abundance of thanksgiving. It's like going to Chick-fil-A and asking for one honey mustard packet, and they dump like ten in your hands. Thanks, I just needed the one. That's great, though. That's what he's talking about. It's like in our hearts and in our minds, just this appreciation and love and delight in who Christ is and what he's done. But this is just overflowing. It doesn't mean that you're walking down the street singing and clicking your heels together and being weird. It just means that in your heart, you're just always aware of it as you're going through your day. Thank you, Lord, that you love me so much. Thank you for all these blessings that you've put in my life, even the hard stuff. Thank you that you use even that to show me that I, I need you. And, and the million other reasons that, that you do all the things that you do because you are infinitely wise and infinitely good. One theologian described this abounding thanksgiving in Christ this way. He said, It's the spontaneous manifestation of the divine presence and power within you as you enjoy fellowship with Jesus. I'm going to read that again. I think that's a beautiful thought. The spontaneous manifestation of the divine presence and power within you as you enjoy fellowship with Jesus. So what Paul's given us here is, in what he's saying, is, is actually a great litmus test for the, the health of our hearts, is, is gratitude. You know, are we experiencing this abundance of gratitude or not? And if we're not, then he's saying we're not healthy. Something's wrong. And, and so here's, here's an idea for you. Gratitude will dry up when we see Jesus as being anything less than an abundant meeting of every single one of our needs. Like he either has to be the abundance of of meeting every need that we have and will ever have. Or if he's anything less than that, we cannot abound in gratitude. Why? Well, here's a couple examples. One is the way a lot of us have been taught to think about the gospel. Is it's this, for all the Monopoly fans out there, it's this one really amazing get out of jail free card. And it's like, you know, you imagine God is this really reluctant Parent, like, okay, you've made a total train wreck of your life. I'm going to do this once, okay? Get out of jail free card, but the rest is up to you. So it's like this free, like, clean slate, fresh start, but now it's all on you to keep it clean. Okay, well, how's that going to go? Not well. Because if I was dead because of all the sin that's all over me that I keep doing all the time, I'm not going to be able to do that in my own power, am I? So the gospel doesn't become good news. It becomes this thing in the past that was kind of good, but I'm still totally anxious and fearful and empty. 
Okay, another thing that we do. If I have to add anything to the gospel in order to make it work, then I can't abound in thanksgiving. Even if Jesus meets me 99% of the way there, and he is only asking me to come up with 1%, I am not going to be able to abound in thanksgiving because it is depending on me. If I don't bring that 1% by fill in the blank with whatever religious ritual you think is required of you in order for the gospel to take root and grow, if it's doing certain things or not doing other things, whatever that is, you, you can't have an abundance of thanksgiving because he is not meeting all of your needs in abundance. Like you are still on the hook. You should still be feeling anxious. It's like, it's like being absolutely broke like literally having zero dollars and somebody gifting you a $3 million house that is fully furnished. And you think, that's an amazing gift. Yeah, until you have to pay property taxes and you're still broke, right? Like that's what we're talking about here. It's like the gospel is this amazing gift that you're going to get evicted from in a year because you can't pay the property taxes. That's not what the gospel is. Paul is saying the gospel is everything. It is everything. The only thing that you and I bring is our sin, is our desperate need for a Savior, our desperate need to hear good news. Paul says in Galatians 3 to some people that are having a hard time with this, you fools, he loved them, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified, meaning like, didn't you see that he did everything? Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? By something that you did? Or by hearing it? By faith and just receiving it? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, the Spirit that had to open your arms to receive this gift to begin with, are you now being perfected by the flesh, by what you do? And we need to hear that. So how do we root in Christ? How do we abide in Him? We continue to receive him. That's what we're doing here. That's why God says it's really important. I want my people meeting weekly to worship together as the church. Because you need to sing the gospel over each other. You need to hear the gospel taught to you. You need to soak in it. You need to talk about it with each other in your homes. You need to walk and talk about it. You need to spend time alone with Jesus in his word. Just asking him to help you understand it. If this whole idea of walking in the gift of Christ is foreign to you and, and you don't feel this abundance of thanksgiving and you never have, let me just give you a good place to start. Carve out time every day, either going for a walk or just sitting somewhere quiet that's pleasant that you enjoy, and just go to the Gospel of John and just say, Lord, Will you meet me here and help me understand this? And when you read, you don't have to read a lot. Just read a little bit until you come to something that either you don't understand or something that really speaks to you, and then just talk to him about it. Say, Jesus, will you help me understand this? I have no idea what you're saying right there when you said that. And there's going to be a lot of places where you say that. But God will meet you there. And it's just this, it's just this living in the awareness of him and delighting in him. Okay, so we talked about receiving Christ as a gift. That was our first observation. We talked about living out of the gift of Christ. 
And now for this, this third observation is Paul is, is given this warning. Don't trust every appraisal. Don't trust every appraisal. So going back to our, our Antiques Roadshow moment, um, I want to ask you all, somebody tell me, what, what is an appraiser? How, how would you define it? Working definition. Somebody who, yeah, yeah, helps, helps you assess value, right? And, and presumably, it's somebody who knows more than you about whatever this thing is. I don't know what my great-granddad's pocket watch is worth. You tell me. And then they say, oh, yeah, well, these markings and this thing, it's worth this much. You say, okay. And then you go, and whatever the appraiser told you, you live out of the reality. That's your new reality of what this thing is really worth. And so the question that we have to answer is, who in your life are you allowing to appraise the value of the gift of Jesus Christ? Because that will change your entire life. Is it your family? Is it a cultural, professional, expert voice in some field? Maybe worst of all, is it you? Do you get to determine the value of the gift of Christ? That's bad news. Because if you're like me, that valuation is probably going to fluctuate wildly every five minutes, right? And Paul is saying, hey, the only one who can value accurately the worth of this gift of Jesus Christ is God himself. And he's already told you that it's worth infinite, it is of infinite value. It is of infinite value. And so he is encouraging these people to live out of that reality of God's appraisal. So he says, see to it. This idea that you need to take responsibility because now in Christ, God has given you the power to do this. You can do this. See to it that no one takes you captive. There are spiritual forces at work. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, says, hey, we're not wrestling against these false teachers, really. We're wrestling against the spiritual powers of darkness. That sounds like a superhero movie. But Paul is saying that is spiritual reality is there are spiritual forces of darkness that are seeking to devalue Christ in your life. Why? To make you slaves. And Paul says, do not, whatever you do, see to it that you do not allow anyone to take you captive with what? With philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. What are we talking about? Well, we could unpack this for three more sermons. But just for right now, a working definition of what Paul's talking about is any authoritative voice or would-be authoritative voice on how the world works and how life works and what you need from a human perspective devoid of the truth of God. Okay? And so, like I said before, these people are getting these opinions, these human philosophies from all sides. The Jewish people are saying, yeah, you still need to do these religious things. The pagan people are saying, yeah, you still need to pay attention to these spirits. But what does that mean for us? What are some examples of this in our lives? What are some, some would-be enslavers? What about our definition of success? Man, really more than anything, I just want to be successful. 
And here's what that means. And for a lot of us, it means that work is my new God. I need to climb the ladder. I need to get the raise. I need to be the man or the woman. I need to make a name for myself. And yes, Jesus is great because it helps me feel better about myself when I cuss. But like really, it has no bearing on my entire life. Like what really has bearing is this God I'm serving called success. Or what if it's your family, the family that you come from? You know, if you're younger, that's probably more of a a concern for you. Well, that's just who I am. That's our family. And when I go home for Christmas break or whatever it is, Jesus has to stay at the door because he's not allowed in there. His power doesn't work in that house. My family and my past are more powerful than Jesus. So it's hard to abound in thanksgiving for the gift of Christ when he doesn't really apply to every area of your life. Or what about cultural values? You know, kind of like this idea of success. It's like whatever I need to be to fit in or get the thing that I want or get the valuation that I want from other people, then I need to fit myself into this image, whether it's what I look like or what I sound like or how educated I am or whatever it is. But yeah, Jesus can't really help me with those things. And so he can get me part of the way, but I need, I need something else over here. And so I'm just going to go like this and just be enslaved. Oh, you'll give me what I need? Okay, put the cuffs on. Or maybe it's your own sin or your own pain. Maybe I have done things that are so ugly and disgusting, that there's no way that his power is, is greater than those things. He can't wash that away. Or what's been done to me is so ugly and disgusting and painful that he can't wash that away either. But here, just a note to make sure we're all on the same page. If you are in Christ, you can't actually be enslaved anymore. Okay? If you are in Christ, you cannot be enslaved anymore. But what can happen is that you can live like you're enslaved. And that's what Paul's talking about here. So it's not that anyone can actually come and enslave you. It's that they can put, put on a virtual reality experience that you're living out of now because you're, you're allowing them to value Christ and value your life and tell you what direction you need to go. And so Paul is saying, hey, you can just stop living in that corner, take off that mask, and be free because that, that is not reality. And so wherever you are, just know this. Christ never went anywhere. If you were in Christ, he didn't leave. No matter how, how bad you sinned or, or how much you, you stopped paying attention to him, he didn't go anywhere. You did. And so his invitation is just to return. And the biblical word for that is repent. And it's not this harsh thing like you need to learn your lesson and be in your place. Repentance is an invitation to come and receive life again. He says this in Isaiah 30, 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. So that's his invitation to us, is to come and rest and be filled in him. So our, our Antiques Roadshow picture, the, uh, the first appraiser who appraised the watch at $6,000, was a little off, right? And that man was living out of the, the false reality of, of that low value. But guess what? The second appraiser that we actually saw together, he was a little off too. 
he, he appraised the value of that watch to be $250,000. That watch is actually the most expensive, the most valuable item that's ever appeared on Antiques Roadshow. And two years later, it sold at auction for over $1.5 million. And so you think about our, our friend from the video. No, no, can't be. Like, y'all, that's how you and I were designed to live in Christ. That every single day, we are like that man. And we are saying, no, really? It's that good? Like, he's that powerful? Like, this gift that I've had all this time can do that? Like, Jesus loves me that much? No, that's amazing. That's amazing because that's, that is what we have in Christ. We will never plumb the depths of the, the worth of that gift. Father, thank you. Thank you for that gift. Lord, teach us how to receive it. Whether it's for the first time, Lord, open our hands that we could receive this good gift from you. Or whether it's for the millionth time, open our hands again so that we could receive you afresh. Lord, teach us if we, are, if we are in Christ but we have been far away, teach us to repent. Lord, lead us to repentance so that we can continue to abide in you so that you would give us life and bear fruit through us. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.